Section One of the Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Princess by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Prologue Sir Walter Vivian, all a summer's day, gave his broad lawns until the set of sun up to the people. Thither flocked at noon his tenants, wife and child, and thither half the neighbouring borough with their institute, of which he was the patron. I was there from college, visiting the son, the son a Walter too, with others of our set, five others. We were seven at Vivian Place. And me that morning Walter showed the house, Greek, set with busts, from vases in the hall flowers of all heavens, and lovelier than their names grew side by side, and on the pavement lay carved stones of the abbey ruin in the park, huge ammonites, and the first bones of time. And on the tables every clime and age jumbled together, Celts and calumets, claymore and snowshoe, toys in lava, fans of sandal, amber, ancient rosaries, laborious orient ivory sphere in sphere, the cursed Malayan crease, and battle-clubs from the isles of palm. And higher on the walls, betwixt the monstrous horns of elk and deer, his own forefathers' arms and armour hung. And this, he said, was Hughes at Agincourt and that was old Sir Rafe's at Ascalon, a good knight he, we keep a chronicle with all about him. Which he brought, and I dived in a hoard of tales that dealt with knights, half legend, half historic, counts and kings who laid about them at their wills and died, and mixed with these, a lady, one that armed her own fair head, and sallying through the gate had beat her foes with slaughter from her walls. O miracle of women, said the book, O noble heart, who being straight besieged by this wild king to force her to his wish, nor bent, nor broke, nor shunned a soldier's death, but now when all was lost or seemed as lost, her stature more than mortal in the burst of sunrise, her arm lifted, eyes on fire, break with a blast of trumpets from the gate and falling on them like a thunderbolt, she trampled some beneath her horse's heels, and some were whelmed with missiles of the wall, and some were pushed with lances from the rock, and part were drowned within the whirling brook. O miracle of noble womanhood! So sang the gallant, glorious chronicle. And I, all wrapped in this, Come out, he said, to the abbey, there is Aunt Elizabeth and Sister Lilia with the rest. We went, I kept the book and had my finger in it, down through the park. Strange was the sight to me, for all the sloping pasture murmured, sown with happy faces and with holiday. There moved the multitude, a thousand heads. The patient leaders of their institute taught them with facts. One reared a font of stone and drew, from butts of water on the slope, the fountain of the moment, playing, now a twisted snake, and now a rain of pearls, or steep-up spout whereon the gilded ball danced like a wisp. And somewhat lower down, 
a man with knobs and wires and vials fired a cannon. Echo answered in her sleep from hollow fields, and here were telescopes for azure views, and there a group of girls in circle waited, whom the electric shock dislinked with shrieks and laughter. Round the lake a little clockwork steamer paddling plied and shook the lilies. Perched about the knolls a dozen angry models jetted steam. A petty railway ran. A fire-balloon rose gem-like up before the dusky groves, and dropped a fairy parachute and passed. And there, through twenty posts of telegraph, they flashed a saucy message to and fro between the mimic stations. So that sport went hand in hand with science. Otherwhere pure sport, a herd of boys with clamour bowled and stumped the wicket, babies rolled about like tumbled fruit in grass, and men and maids arranged a country dance, and flew through light and shadow, while the twangling violin struck up with Soldier Laddie, and overhead the broad ambrosial aisles of lofty lime made noise with bees and breeze from end to end. Strange was the sight, and smacking of the time, and long we gazed, but satiated at length came to the ruins. High-arched and ivy-clasped, of finest Gothic lighter than a fire, through one wide chasm of time and frost they gave the park, the crowd, the house. But all within the sward was trim as any garden lawn. And here we lit on Aunt Elizabeth, and Lilia with the rest, and lady-friends from neighbour seats. And there was Rafe himself, a broken statue propped against the wall, as gay as any. Lilia, wild with sport, half-child, half-woman as she was, had wound a scarf of orange round the stony helm, and robed the shoulders in a rosy silk, that made the old warrior from his ivied nook glow like a sunbeam. Near his tomb a feast shone, silver set, about it lay the guests, and there we joined them. Then the maiden aunt took this fair day for text, and from it preached an universal culture for the crowd, and all things great. But we, unworthy, are told of college. He had climbed across the spikes, and he had squeezed himself betwixt the bars, and he had breathed the proctor's dogs, and one discussed his tutor, rough to common men, but honeying at the whisper of a lord, and one the master, as a rogue in grain veneered with sanctimonious theory. But while they talked, Above their heads I saw the feudal warrior lady-clad, which brought my book to mind, and opening this I read of old Sir Rafe a page or two that rang with tilt and tourney, then the tale of her that drove her foes with slaughter from her walls, and much I praised her nobleness, and—where? asked Walter, patting Lilia's head, she lay beside him. Lives there such a woman now? Quick answered Lilia, There are thousands now such women, but convention beats them down. It is but bringing up, no more than that. You men have done it. How I hate you all! Ah, were I something great! I wish I were some mighty poetess! I would shame you, then, that love to keep us children! Oh, I wish that I were some great princess! I would build, far off from men, a college like a man's, and I would teach them all that men are taught. We are twice as quick." And here she shook aside the hand that played the patron with her curls. 
and one said, smiling, Pretty were the sight if our old halls could change their sex, and flaunt with prudes for proctors, dowagers for deans, and sweet girl graduates in their golden hair. I think they should not wear our rusty gowns, but move as rich as emperor moths, or Rafe who shines so in the corner. Yet I fear, if there were many Lilias in the brood, however deep you might embower the nest, some boy would spy it. At this, upon the sward, she tapped her tiny silken-sandaled foot. That's your light way, but I would make it death for any male thing but to peep at us. Petulant she spoke, and at herself she laughed, a rosebud set with little wilful thorns, and sweet as English air could make her she. But Walter hailed a score of names upon her, and petty ogress, and ungrateful puss and swore he longed at college, only longed, all else was well, for she society. They boated and they cricketed, they talked at wine and clubs of art of politics, they lost their weeks, they vexed the souls of deans, they rode, they betted, made a hundred friends, and caught the blossom of the flying terms, but missed the mignonette of Vivian Place, the little hearth-flower Lilia. Thus he spoke, part banter, part affection. "'True,' she said, "'we doubt not that. Oh, yes, you missed us much. I'll stake my ruby ring upon it you did.' She held it out, and as a parrot turns up through gilt wires a crafty loving eye, and takes a lady's finger with all care, and bites it for true heart and not for harm, so he with Lilia's. Daintily she shrieked and wrung it. "'Doubt my word again,' he said. "'Come, listen. Here is proof that you were missed. We seven stayed at Christmas up to read, and there we took one tutor as to read. The hard-grained muses of the cube and square were out of season. Never man, I think, so mouldered in a sinecure as he. For while our cloisters echoed frosty feet, and our long walks were stripped as bare as brooms, we did but talk you over, pledged you all in wassail, often, like as many girls, sick for the hollies and the ewes of home, as many little trifling lilias, played charades and riddles as at Christmas here, and what's my thought, and when, and where, and how, as here at Christmas. She remembered that, a pleasant game, she thought, she liked it more than magic music forfeits all the rest, but these, what kind of tales did men tell men, she wondered, by themselves? A half-disdain perched on the pouted blossom of her lips, and Walter nodded at me. He began, the rest would follow, each in turn, and so we forged a sevenfold story. Kind? What kind? Chimeras, crotchets, Christmas solecisms, seven-headed monsters only made to kill time by the fire in winter. "'Kill him now, the tyrant! Kill him in the summer, too!' said Lilia. "'Why not now?' the maiden aunt. "'Why not a summer's as a winter's tale? A tale for summer as befits the time, and something it should be to suit the place. Heroic! For a hero lies beneath, grave, solemn!' Walter warped his mouth at this to something so mock-solemn that I laughed and Lilia woke with sudden thrilling mirth an echo like a ghostly woodpecker, hid in the ruins. Till the maiden aunt, 
a little sense of wrong had touched her face with colour, turned to me with, "'As you will, heroic if you will, or what you will, or be yourself your hero if you will.' "'Take Lilia then for heroine,' clamoured he, and make her some great princess, six feet high, grand, epic, homicidal, and be you the prince to win her. Then follow me, the prince, I answered, each be hero in his turn, seven and yet one like shadows in a dream. Heroic seems our princess as required, but something made to suit with time and place, a Gothic ruin and a Grecian house, a talk of college and of ladies' rights, a feudal knight in silken masquerade, and yonder shrieks and strange experiments for which the good Sir Rafe had burnt them all. This were a medley. We should have him back who told the winter's tale to do it for us. No matter. We will say whatever comes. And let the ladies sing us, if they will, from time to time, some ballad or a song to give us breathing space. So I began and the rest followed, and the women sang between the rougher voices of the men, like linnets in the pauses of the wind. And here I give the story and the songs. End of section one.